Colossians chapter 2. And last week, we just started our first Sunday um, in taking just a little stretch of time in the, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And Paul's desire for, this, for the Colossians church is to be a church that doesn't give in to looking at these cultural sides or positions that, this, that the culture is trying to present, but strive towards knowing Jesus and being a people of the gospel. So if we took the message of Colossians and we could sum it down into one sentence, it could be, Jesus is everything, and you are a gospel people. And so for today, what we want to do is we want to continue on that conversation that Paul is bringing up to this Colossians church, right? The church has full access to God in Jesus, and we are set apart to serve him with joy, purpose, and energy. So that was last week. That was Colossians chapter 1. But if that's true, chapter 2 helps us understand and get there by answering this question. How does the church distinguish herself in the world today? How does the church distinguish herself in the world today? Are the words joy, purpose, Energy, holy, set apart, are these descriptions that Seattleites around us would define churches as here in Seattle? I don't think so. I don't think so. But regardless of that, Paul urges us, just like he's urging the Colossian church, to be lovers of the word, that you nevertheless are people of the gospel. And so what that means is that no matter the opinions, no matter the opposition, no matter even the persecution as the church, we are to focus our attention on Jesus in unity, grounding ourselves in the word with gratitude, remain captivated by Jesus to protect each other against the false promises of truth and happiness that will come along the way. So that's what we're going to be diving into this morning. So would you guys pray with me? Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to receive your word. God, instruct us, help us see and help us understand the promises of the gospel found in this book of Colossians. We love you, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you that All of the fullness of God, all the fullness of you and all your glory is completely, totally found in Jesus. We thank you that we can read the scriptures and live and be instructed to live a life of godliness. And we'd help you to ask ask that you would help us to do so. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I want to focus our attention there on... First, Paul's kind of urging us to be a gospel people who are united in the word. Okay, this is verses one through three. It says, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you. For those in Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me in person, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding And have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom 
and knowledge. So we begin, surprisingly, to find out that Paul had never personally been to this church. And yet he's saying these words like, I'm struggling for you. Talking to them like he, he intimately knows who they are. But it's true because he is struggling for them. And he's taking on these problems that they're having as his own. Right? And that word struggle actually is the word agon, which is where we get the word agony from. So the word, so he's agonizing over the difficulties that this church is facing around them. Because he's seen people, he's seen his people in the church gaze a little too long at kind of these false teachers than their philosophies and messages outside of the church. And he's hearing them tempted to kind of follow along and give in to what they're saying. But if they remain united in the word, they'll be able to grow. They'll be able to grow one another towards a deeper maturity in Jesus and help one another refuse this temptation, right? So Paul's saying, yeah, I acknowledge that there's, there are some treasures that are being claimed to be out there. But they're not true. They're not true treasures. You can't listen to telling what people are telling you to become. Instead, listen to who you are and find the more satisfying, the more true treasure, the, what I said last week, the full fullness of God in here as your people, as God's people are becoming like Jesus. That's the true treasure. That's the more satisfaction. And I'm agonizing over you guys not choosing that. Right? Don't listen to what people are telling you to become. Listen to what God is telling you who you are. I will go, I'll go down in history in uh, Amy's family as dropping the bomb on Amy right after we got married that uh, I was going to become a professional swing dancer. Back, we, so for some reason, in all of the, the, the love and googly eyes that we had towards each other when we're like just getting married, we both don't know how this happened, but we never really asked each other what we wanted to do for a living before we got married. That question never came up. It still surprises us. I don't know what happened. But after we got married, there was a, there's a, a very clear memory I have where Amy says, we're, we're married now. You know, the, it's done. And she goes, so what, what is it that you want to do? I said, oh, it's easy. I'm going to become a professional swing dancer. And she's like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I mean, I'm doing it now. I'm just going to keep this, keep this baby going. We're going to do this all the time. We don't, we don't need money. We don't need things. We, we can just do this, live this lifestyle. And, and it's true because during the time, I, had, I was just starting to teach and I was just starting to get paid for it. And it was very exciting to me. I was, well, I was getting paid for it some of the time, but it was very exciting for me. And as I was going, I was like with a, a, a troupe, a dance troupe of people that uh, there were things happening around them that should have been warning signs, but they really weren't for me. Like one guy, professional swing dancer, he's like, I'm living 
the time of my life. And he lived in his van. You know, he didn't, have a, he didn't make enough to, to have uh, an income. And there's other families, other people who are getting divorced. All this stuff was happening. But I was just immersed in this message of the artist's dream, right? The dancer's dream. You can do it. You know, you, gotta, you just got to go for it. Well, it was, it was leading to become somewhat, you know, obviously concerning for Amy. And, um, and when she told her parents, they're like, wait, what? How did you guys not talk about this ahead of time? But anyway, so I, I was being very vocal about me wanting to be this professional swing dancer, and I was growing convinced of it that somehow it was going to happen. And then I remember meeting my pastor um, over coffee, and this, and this pastor, he, was just, he just planted a church in Woodenville. And he was talking to Amy and I about how we could get involved and how we could help. And we were talking through there, and we didn't quite know each other enough for um, real, like, hard conversations to, you know, it's a little risky. Like, I could just leave if he wanted, if, if I didn't, if I was offended. Anyway, we're sitting down, and I'm telling him my dream, and I'm telling him what's going to happen and my plan of how I'm going to become a professional swing dancer. And he just said, Mark, he stopped me in my tracks and said, Mark, I got to tell you something. You need to stop dancing. You are making a wrong decision. You can't listen to what your friends are telling you, saying that you've got it. You don't got it. <laughs> and, and it was that awkward silence of those hard conversations that you can have. And I listened to him. But he was right. And in all of my discomfort and in, every, and in all of the difficulty and the pain of, of hearing that truth, especially something so deep to me, something so, that I was so passionate about, I knew that he was right. But even more than that, I knew that he was for me. He was expressing what Amy was feeling and couldn't yet express to me just because we were so, we just got married. But because he and I were united in the faith, and in our mission as growing as disciples together. His challenge was good. And when I think back on it, when I look back on it, I am filled with gratitude, not just because, you know, okay, well now, you know, as more time goes on, it's like, that was really silly. That was, what, what was I thinking, you know? But in the time and in the moment, I think what all of us can find is that when passion and when kind of aspirations and dreams and ambitions kind of merge into one thing, it can be hard to decipher. But people, disciples, who are united together, help us see through those things. Help us see through the rose-colored lenses at, at what's true. And my pastor, my friend, he was the one who helped me see that right? I was following a follow your dreams no matter what gospel. I was following a poor artist dancer dream mentality. But the, the truth was that my friend helped me see was that I was called now to a far higher, a deeper, and a much harder responsibility and dream to be a husband to help to support 
my family, to know what that discipline and that responsibility is. The truth was a pivotal truth that I needed to hear at the time. So there's no, no question or regret or anything that I have other, other than gratitude in knowing that he helped grow me towards something great. A unified faith produces maturity. We don't mature in our faith independently. We grow far more mature. We can get it to a certain point, but a united faith produces maturity. Ephesians 4, verses 15 through 16, it says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together, by every supporting limit, ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. The more I reflect on my experience, the more I see just how biblical my friend was be, being to me. He was seeing a part of the body that was damaged, that needed it repaired and needed an aid and support from the rest of the body to nurse back to health. And that's what he did for me. So friends, this, this type of change, this type of maturity can only happen when our dialogue is coming from a place of unity and not a place of disrespect, a place of gossip, a place of selfish, selfishness. It has to come from a place of unity. Each of us is influenced by the culture around us because, in a, because we are the culture of a place, right? We can't escape culture. You are culture, right? Being Seattleites, you do things differently than if you were in Kansas, Right? And certainly, like if you were in Cambodia, some, it's all unavoidable. But Paul is addressing something far deeper here, which is, yes, you belong to a culture. Yes, you are in a place. But you are also a new culture. You are set apart by Jesus. And that gives you VIP access to the king all the riches of Jesus, all wisdom and knowledge are found among his people. But if you're not careful, our hearts may grow fond and join to something else, something less than gospel. Gospel people, then, are grounded in the word. We want to remain that. We need to be a people grounded in the word. Let's keep reading. Verses 4 through 7. It says, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. So we are to be as dependent on Christ 
as tree roots are dependent in the earth. That's the kind of picture, the mentality we're supposed to have here. John's gospel uses this metaphor of the vine, right? This where life flows into the vine to produce fruit and then more light. So Paul is doing the same here by describing us as being rooted in our faith, which comes from the teaching of the word. The deeper and the more widespread our roots go in Jesus, the greater the shade, the fruit, and the beauty we provide for others. I love Psalm 1 when it describes this, where it says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And as he meditates on it day and night, he is like a tree planted beside streams of flowing water that bears fruits in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Grounding our faith in the word is becoming more dependent on Jesus and becoming more like him. We often think of growth as a means of moving up towards newer and better things. We often start in one place and we grow up into another place, right? But the Christian life, it's not that simple. Old truths we learned years ago will continue to challenge us for years to come. We don't graduate from early truth to newer truth. We spread out into it. It becomes deeper. It becomes wider. The Bible doesn't describe growth as growing up. The Bible describes growth as spreading out, as digging down. When we learn one truth, we become grounded in it. When I first became a Christian, I learned for the first time what it means to live selflessly, to live a selfless life. When I first became a Christian, as a selfish teenager, the selfish or the selfless truth was very pivotal. That truth, years later, as an adult and a husband and a father of four, that truth is still remains. It has just become far deeper and far more widespread in every area of my life. Selflessness is still very prominent and very challenging within my life. It's not a newer truth. It's not an advance. It's spread out. Its roots have spread. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, listen to this, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So as we dig deeper, as the roots of Christ spread through us, through every area, these truths, 
Not only are we digging deeper into the faith, but we are experiencing a greater fullness of Jesus. Because he's filling every nook and cranny of our lives. And in that, more life is given. We become more confident, more firmed in our faith, stronger, because it's not in us anymore. It's in Christ. We become that, that tree that's planted be, be beside the stream of flowing water. That's what Jesus offers us, and that's what we're striving for. To be so grounded in our faith that it's our nature to discover the difference that Jesus makes in all of life. And the result of this is gratitude. A grounded faith produces gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13 also tells us the same thing. Therefore, through him, let us continue to offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. A grounded faith is one that produces gratitude to Jesus. Thankfulness, then, is a really good test for our spiritual state and our health. Thankfulness is a good test of our spiritual state and health. If I'm more thankless than thankful, the question I should ask is, am I focusing on the greatness of God in everywhere? Or am I trying to learn or achieve maybe something newer, a newer exciting truth that I've just heard? I love this, uh, this guy, Alexander McLaren. He says, the life which is all influenced by thanksgiving will be pure, strong, and happy in its continual counting of its gifts. And, thought, and the thought of the giver, the noblest offering that we can bring, that only response with Christ that Christ asks of us that our, is that our hearts and our lives should say, thank you, Lord. So over everything that we have, the continually counting of gifts that God gives us, the thing that Jesus asks of us is to recognize and be, grat be grateful. The response of thank you, Lord, is enough and can be reflected in what we do with it. I'd like to be more like that. I would like to strive after these deeper truths. And when I see the Lord's work in my life, I would like my grounded faith to produce gratitude more often than it does. But if you're like me, if you're like me, then maybe our desire to do that needs some help. Our desire to produce more gratitude should lead us to ask, how? How can I do that? How can my gratitude show my love for the word 
and unite me with my brothers and sisters that, so that I can become more grounded in my faith. I believe that Paul answers this question by showing us that gospel people are captivated by the word. We're to be a gospel people. We are to be captivated by the word. So let's read verses uh, 8 through 10 together. It says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So let's take a step back and just see what, what's Paul referring to when he's, when he's talking about these, this philosophy and this empty deceit. It's, it's helpful for us to know. So there, there was this philosophical trend going on, specifically with, within this, this area that was combining Greek Gnosticism with Judaism. So basically, false Jewish teachers kind of wove in into the Old Testament wove Old Testament law into Greek practices of like everyday life. And these were all kind of rooted in or these were all motivated by living a happy life, living a very pleasurable life, living a very Motive, self-motivated life. And the, the dangerous part is that there was truth woven into it, right? There was the Old Testament law woven in through these different practices. So what came of it was this kind of mysterious, weird, complicated, astrology-like Hebrew thing. It was just this big kind of mix of spiritualism that was attempt to, to live a good life here. The deadly part of it was that there was truth that people were trying to decipher and understand. But I don't think I need to convince you that if you've looked out and to see what kind of messages there are today, that there are a ton of different messages and things pursuing attention, pursuing your attention with the promise to make you happy and weaving in truth with a real intent to warp reality. I, it's like those, uh, you know those infomercials? Those like infomercials sell, selling like uh, cheap stuff that you don't need. And how do they always start? They always start with someone really sad and it's black and white. And this person is as clumsy as can be, right? And it's like, are you tired of turning the smoothie on to make your favorite breakfast smoothie and you forget the lid, you know, and it's this person like yawning and it's black and white and they turn it on and then the smoothie stuff goes everywhere. And it tells you this kind of, this person, she's waiting to, to, she's all sad and she doesn't need anything and then all of a sudden it comes into full color and it's like what you really need is this anti-spill, anti-lock lid that you never forget about that has LED glowing lights and you'll never forget your smoothie lid again. And then it's her all happy and she clicks the button and it like, you know, does the smoothie. And it's like four, three easy payments of $39.99 for the next six months, right? You get, 
that's what you get. This is this, you are sad now. Your life is terrible. You're clumsy as all can be. Nothing's going right for you. You need an answer. You need an answer. And this is the answer that we have. The warning here is to watch out for stuff like that. There is a truer truth. Yeah, there are bad things that happen. Yeah, there are there is a clumsiness, there is a self, there's challenges within myself that I do recognize that I can share in the broader public. I can go around and we can all talk about the definitions of sin, though right now, especially in our world, in a post-truth culture, we're going to reach a breaking point because there is no more understanding of objective truth, of true truth. And what Paul is saying to this church is, watch out for stuff like that. Watch out for the things that are trying to weave in a true feeling, but replace it in a false reality. Don't let your attention be captured in that. Yes, it's hitting a human need that you have. In verse 4, it even says, they sound reasonable. Why shouldn't I follow advice that sounds reasonable? It sounds reasonable, right? So what's wrong with my attention being given to reasonable things that make me happy and want me to feel better? Because they'll captivate you. And you just may put your hope in them and not Christ. So be careful. Yes, and now there are false religions. But Paul is talking about philosophies. He's talking about ways of living. And those are more subtle and those are even harder to identify. Philosophies address how we live and share better ways of living. And we too often set our sights from what's true and beautiful to things that claim truth and beauty only to be empty and dangerous. Let me explain this. this, I think there's this picture of this artist drew, defines this really well. There's this artist, Banksy. He had this, he painted this controversial painting um, in this city, and it's called Mobile Lovers. It's this black and white painting of of this couple embracing, just kind of holding each other And while each of them is held in this embrace, both are looking over the other's shoulder at their phones. (laughs) And you see this glow coming from the phones. And it's it's an intentional depiction that it's giving up the truth of beauty and marriage that they have, right, that they can be found embraced in for a false truth an embrace of a personalized entertainment. Right? There's, I'm, I'm within this, in, I'm being embraced now, but there's another embrace that's calling my attention. Looking beyond someone who knows me for a device that claims to know me. That's what I mean by philosophy here, a way of life. Paul says, be careful. It's all around you. It's subtle. It's deceptive. 
But here is the Bible's promise. In our life, because we're marked by the human condition, which means that we are marked by sin and the church gets to trace that all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, choosing to follow the serpent, Satan, to lift themselves up into a different type of embrace, a different type of comfort and joy. That we've been broken from God's presence. That we've been broken from seeing God face to face. But though we were broken from the fullness of God, Jesus Christ came in the flesh as the fullness of God to come to a people so, to so desperately need the truth and to bridge us to him again. So now in Jesus, through his death on the cross, we stand before God and get to experience the fullness of his grace, the fullness of his mercy in his son, Christ. That's the gospel for us. And as we are living out our lives, we can be so easily swayed by things that are trying to take our attention and our embrace, but Jesus is more. And the encouragement that I have for you is that as you love Jesus more, you grow more and more captivated by the word. And as you are captivated by the word, you grow more and more in love with Jesus. Let me say that one more time. As you love Jesus more, you become more and more captivated by the word. And as you become captivated by the word, you grow more and more in love with Jesus. That is the beautiful pattern and cycle of us digging deep into Jesus, into our faith. Verse 9, the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him. A captivated faith produces protection. The most supernatural act in history is God, through his word, has revealed everything to live a life of godliness. That is truth that steers us away from being captivated by false promises and protects us from lies and deceit around us. You have all you need in Jesus. And when we come together, something truly miraculous happens. We become captivated together by him. We become more grounded and rooted in his love. And from that love, gratitude and service overflow. And all of the empty promises, all of the, all of the infomercial sales of life that, attempt you to, that tempt you to look elsewhere will have very little appeal to you. Because as you grow to be more like Christ... Through the church, with each other, we mature in him. We will get to learn more and more what it means to know how much Jesus loves us. Let's pray together.